I'm Kendall. And I'm Bree. And this is When the Light Goes Out. So this is the time around the the year where everyone is posting their top ten rankings for like all their analytics for music. Oh, the Spotify raps. The Spotify raps, Apple raps, whatever you call them. Um, mine kind of did me dirty. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get all these different pop music. I'm sorry, not pop music. Uh, all these different rock and alternative music top hits and everything and then Spotify is like nah you gay so they gave me <laughs> I think what am I like Beyonce uh, Nicki Minaj uh, Mac and the Stallion what, what do you call them maybe the the gay icons gay icons gay icons yeah so it's cool though it's cool I'm mad because, okay, don't roast me, people, but I prefer Apple Music, okay? I do, too. I have both. But. Okay. <laughs> but everybody always is like, Spotify is better, and I just like, I prefer Apple's layout, man. I do, too. I, and I'm not one to, like, discover music, which I know, like, is the mm-hmm. main thing about Spotify. Like, I just, like, listen to the songs I like. That's my thing. Day, right? I like the layout of Apple more, but Spotify has good, like... Like, if you're listening to random music, it turns... Yeah, Discover and stuff. And I also, like, I just figured out that Spotify is this thing where they can play music and it kind of, like, you can kind of seep them into each other. So, like, when it ends, you can do that. Just learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, But I have, like I was saying, I have Apple Music, and I've been trying to get my, like, replay to work, and I can never freaking every year, I can never get it to work. And I don't know if I have this exact problem every year, but this year it's been, like, I'll sign in or whatever, and then it'll basically tell me to, like, subscribe. But I already have a subscription, and I'm using Apple Music just fine. Like, look. So it'll say this, and then if you hit not now, it just takes you right back to... Not that, but it... No, I see what you're saying, yeah. It really takes me right back to this. And then if you hit... Hold on. Let me get it to load. If you hit the other button, like the try now button, it, like, makes me do a subscription. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to, like, renew my subscription. So I went and I did the whole thing with college student, like, discount, whatever, Mm because I'm still in school through Unidays and whatever, and it's like, you already have an active subscription. What? That's weird. Huh. So I can't get my freaking Apple replay. Oh my gosh. So I can't really see it. And it's every freaking year. I have a problem with that every year. And I'm like, what? Like, what's the issue? I don't get it. What? They are cheating you on that. Yeah. That's like the main, I feel like that's the main thing with like, like with, with like the year ending. It's like you have that. Yeah, and everyone's like posting or like, yeah, I listened to this or this was my top artist. And I'm really curious because, I mean, I am very like. Speci- not specific. I guess kind of specific with like the music I listen to, and I when I really like something, like I really like something. Yeah. So fuck. No, you're good. <laughs> so I'm sure that I have like, like I'm sure I could guess like kind of what my top songs or my top artists are or whatever. Yeah. 
But like, I want to actually see what see they what it is. Are but I it always shocks me because I I swear I know you're good. She keeps hitting her her little my, her boom uh, her what the fuck is this called? soft her soft, soft box, box thing. Yeah, it's I'm cool. I'm so sorry. Wait, hold on. Let's stop real quick and make sure we're still good. Hold on. Okay. This time and I have to renew it, which I don't know if I've renewed it, but normally it'll yell at me like, "Hey, you haven't done it." Oh Do yeah. Do it. Yeah. No, we're gonna figure that out later. We're back, guys. Sorry. Um, Sorry. We had to adjust her mic a little bit, but we're good. I'm we're good. The problem. Am I the drama? Am I the drama? I am the drama. I'm the villain. I wouldn't want it any other way. I am the drama. <laughs> my eye. I am the drama right now because my eye is so watery. I've been wearing my fake eyelashes all day, and for whatever reason, they've been irritating my eye all day, and they normally never do. Miss it the glue, maybe. I don't know. So I ripped them off my eyeballs. So now I'm recording this with Kendall with naked <laughs> eyes. I don't even have eyeliner. Your eyelashes look. I mean, your eye. Uh, your eyebrows look really good though. Mm, my eyebrows look so much better when I have a beat on, like when I have that my beat face. Beat face and my lashes. I'll be my face. Because my lashes are Moving really fast, short. Because they're on the way. <laughs> uh, my natural lashes are so short, and I prefer how I look with my fake ones. No, it's okay. <clears throat> You're so pretty either way. I, I love, love you. Oh, and let's manifest it now, guys. We'll be on our everyone's top ten ranking for most listened podcast next year. Let's make it happen. Make it happen. Make We're manifesting that now. Shit, let's manifest, do it. Please. We're gonna come back to episode fourteen and be like, we did that shit, didn't we? Um, we did that. And I'm so I'm also so glad you're feeling better. You sound amazing. Oh my god, I feel so much better than last week. <laughs> I was so I was sad. Actually I was mean... dead on the ground last week. Like <laughs> I don't even know how I worked. The whole week I was exhausted. You exhausted. put yourself through it last week cuz oh you were god. you were doing um really well cuz you went to a wedding and then you were working and then it got working, time for school. Yeah. Everything. But the thing was though is that after work I was exhausted. Yeah. And after like like the wedding exhausted. Like after everything that's I was true flat i can tell the day we were going to record yeah. we, we got we were ready to record but i could tell brie was just not she she and was trying was that a day that i worked too yeah so you i did came work home that after day. work and i was fucking exhausted i could tell <laughs> I, was I was like, like nah. i was really pulling through though we started filming and everything we got like a little ways in and we did. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad. I, I love you, Simon. He did great. Couch. He did a good job. Everyone, yeah. everyone liked him. So I'm like, yeah. good job. Good and job. Yeah, she slept the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> we love her though. Not my proudest moment. <clears throat> it's okay. I had a slight cough earlier this week, and the moment I felt it, I was like, hell no, nah. I'm good though. I promise. I took yeah, a lot of medicine. I'm medicated. I'm going to New York next week, so uh, I've been trying to have my best. There's nothing you can do when you're awake. Yeah, like little John. I fucking love little John. I love little John. Oh my god. Yeah. I love that. Oh my god. are probably like, bitch, shut the fuck up. No, they're smoking weed. They're fine. Oh yeah, it's smoking weed. It's fine. Shout out apartment two hundred one. Two hundred. Actually, 203. 203. It'd be so funny if they were like listening to this and didn't even know who you were. And they're like, oh my God, they're right above us. Uh, yeah, hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and last week, um, I, me and Simon had talked about 
um, briefly a lot of the shit that has been going on around the world. We kind of talked about it, too, before yeah. we had stopped recording. And um, I was just going to say, there's no update so far on that stabbing that happened at the University of Idaho with those four students. So tragic, still so sad to even think about, of I course. I thought they had, like, a suspect. Nothing I think they that. do. I think okay. they do have a suspect, but um, I think they're just Nothing holding yet. him. Okay. Nothing yet. I know and they've been happens. being, like, really strategic about letting information out and stuff. So hopefully Yeah, they maybe they are co- keeping things close yeah. to the chest and they do know. So I mean, hopefully that's actually doing good. I just want to put, bad. yeah, I want to get those kids justice because, oh, that's so shitty. I feel so, I just feel so bad for them. Um, and then uh, we have we have scheduled for the first time ever the whole month of December. Woohoo! We got everything scheduled, so we have episodes Woo-hoo. ready. Um, we haven't we haven't done them yet, but we we know what we're doing. So um, I'm really excited because for the most part we are pretty much covering the Cecil Hotel and everything around it. And I'm sure by now you've seen the title of this episode, which is Bad Times at the Cecil Hotel. Woo! Tell them what it's the play off of. So this is the play off of the movie. Well, the title. Oh, the title, yeah. The uh, play off of Bad Times at El Royale, which if you guys have never seen that movie, that movie is so amazing. There are so many good stars in it. I think it came out like a couple years ago. Um, and yes, just rent it. it. I'm sure it's not that much money. Just do it. It's great. I love it. Do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> I haven't even watched it. I um, guess I'm going to have to. No, you need. Oh my God. I literally will come over and we can watch it because that movie is amazing and I think you'll love it. Deal. Yes. Hell yeah. Um, and yeah, it really is. There's only been bad times at the Cecil Hotel. So I've been wanting to do this and cover this. Uh, cover this topic for a long time and so the Cecil Hotel what a what sort I'm looking for like enigma enigma yes everything about this word yeah I think it's a good word to use yeah enigma everything about this hotel is just pure evil did you see that they okay so like I randomly see stuff about it on TikTok because there's like apartments right across the street or something and they painted they painted like the original Cecil Hotel painting that was on the side that said like what that is so infamous they like freaking painted it white I was like white why they thought oh why oh my god like literally why I don't like that because it's not being called the Cecil Hotel anymore but that's like literally like I'm sorry but that's part of its history it is part of its history Honestly, I know it's brought a lot of shitty shit to light and recover a lot of that in a minute, but um, it's just a it's a landmark for a lot of shit that happened. And yeah, it's not in the best area ever because it is sitting on Skit Row, but it's like, I don't know. It has so much history to it and it's kind of crazy that it's just there. I don't know. I just think about like America versus like Europe, for instance. And I think about how like, we tear down and rebuild a lot. Yeah. Right? Whereas Europe, most of the time, just has, like, a lot of structure that has been there for years and has history. And something about that just really, it's just interesting to me. So, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that the Cecil Hotel was right in Skid Row. hmm Like, it's literally right there. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Which, uh... It makes it worse. Throughout this month, yeah, we'll figure out that... 
a lot of shit and a lot of people have been in and out of that place. Oh, yeah. Um, I know it's been big for famous people, too. For fam- Yeah, you're right. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but no, it's a few okay. uh, serial killers, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, this month we will pretty much... So, I won't say, like, every single story we're going to cover this month is specifically about the Cecil Hotel. But as we get later and later into the month, a lot of these stories are going to have some kind of attachment to it. So I think that was really cool. I think I kind of worked really hard this week trying to uh, structure how this this month is going to be centered around this kind of theme. So I think that'll be a fun little thing for us to do. And so today we have um, we're doing something a little different. So we are talking about the Cecil Hotel, and we're going to be talking about the Cecil Hotel and four different cases, short mini cases. So buckle your seatbelts. Buckle your seatbelts, because whoa, we have a we have some crazy ones in here. So I'm excited to get to get going here. So yes, are you ready, Boo and Bunny? Yes, Blue and bu- Boo and Bunny. Boo is being great today. Bunny is being great today. Well, Boo is being Boo semi- is not okay. being great today, she, she but was, she's being good right now. She was being a little something earlier, but it's okay. She's back to being okay. So, all right. They're ready. All right. We're all ready. Y'all ready? Y'all, Y'all ready? ready for this? Oh, you ready? Y'all ready for this? All right, let's get down to business. Let's get serious. <clears throat> all right. So... In a 56 block radius in downtown Los Angeles, California, known in the area of Skid Row, sits a now vacant building at 640 Street Main, oh sorry, 640 South Main Street, once known as the Cecil Hotel. Vacant. Vacant. As of right now. I thought they were remodeling. Is that why it's vacant? It's vacant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're remodeling. They are remodeling and they're trying to bring it back. Make it nice. And should we just tell them? Let's just tell them. Okay, we can tell them. Yes, let's tell them. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, what are we telling them? So next episode, we are doing... Elisa Lamb! The Elisa Lamb case. Yes, we have to, right? I mean, That's it's, a really it's well one. It's a big one, yeah. So mm-hmm. I felt like that needed its own separate case and everything to it. So I'm very excited we we're going to cover that next week. If you guys don't know about it, don't look it up. Keep it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it for yourself, please. Just keep it vacant, lot, anything. Just don't, <laughs> just don't look it up. Um, but it is a crazy case, and uh, it's a that's mysterious case. it's a very mysterious case. I think it's a very spooky one too. So I think this episode will definitely set the foundation with all these stories we're going to tell you guys, and we just hope you guys like it. So yes. So like I said, um, this building sits at 640 South Main Street. Once known as the Cecil Hotel, honestly, it's changed its name a couple times, but um, we know it by the Cecil, and it's going to always be the Cecil, honestly. And the infamous hotel was founded in 1920s, in the 1920s, by William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert L. Uh, sorry, Robert H. Shops, being a hotel intended for business travelers, social elites, and tourists. I think as most hotels try to be. And then... The architecture that this hotel first had was just immaculate. It had been done by architect uh, Lloyd Lester Smith, who was widely known at the time as a local architect. And at this time, he had designed several commercial and government buildings throughout the 1920s. The construction of this hotel costed approximately 
$1.5 million to complete just alone and was completed with 14 floors and 700 rooms. That's a lot of money, but I also feel like it's not that much money. Probably not that much money for an upscale hotel or therefore it was supposed to be, but... What what were they trying to make an upscale hotel in Skid Row for? Well, at the time, and we'll get to this. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Was it when was it built? It was built in the nineteen twenties. So nineteen. Okay yeah never mind. Yeah like nineteen twenty four. Yeah it wasn't bad yet. Never mind. It wasn't bad yet. My critical thinking and listening skills are not very great. No, you are another shift before this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also another late night uh, when when the light goes out. I think we like we 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 can attached to our late night stuff but it's okay because you know we flourish we also digress <laughs> so <clears throat> uh at, like i said the construction of, host, uh, of this hotel costed approximately 1.5 million and it was completed with 14 floors and 700 rooms which are a lot, a of, lot rooms, of rooms shit ton of rooms that's a lot of rooms yeah oh my god i don't know many hotels that do mm, i guess yeah no there's are, like yeah i'm thinking of like las vegas they have millions but i feel of, like for 1920s like i feel that's like a that's lot. big the architecture of that place is huge be. yeah and so inside this hotel was a full marble lobby and a huge beautiful. grand terracotta entryway oh sorry what do you want to say same beautiful beautiful love it we love marble and um like i said the huge grand terracotta entryway with lavish stained glass windows and a wooden polished coated stairway leading up to the barker brother furnished rooms now at the time the barker brothers was a very high-end furniture retailer in la so <clears throat> they kind of flourished everything or furnished everything i should say so the rooms at the time with shared bath, it would cost a dollar and fifty cents a night. How expensive! So that today would be twenty five dollars and forty seven cents. That's still nothing. Still nothing. A room with a private toilet would cost two dollars a night, which today calculates $2. to literally thirty three ninety six. Thirty three dollars. And a room with a private bathroom would cost two dollars a night, with today's prorated cost amounts to forty-two dollars and forty-four cents. So not too bad, not too shabby. The hotel officially opened December twentieth, nineteen twenty-seven. With in just a year, the Cecil became a prime focus of the LA life. Yeah. Huge. Tourists love visiting this hotel, with it being right next to the, or sorry, right in the middle of Los Angeles, and Hollywood's elite just would rent rooms out like crazy, and for the next couple of years, it, the hotel just flourished. It did so well. Until the U.S. stock market crashed, igniting the Great Depression. Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love, that thing. That that great terrible thing <laughs> i feel like every well, not every story but i feel like so many of our old cases have started with the great depression it's always the great depression that depression that shit so jobs became scarce obviously business closed wages drops and overall everything just started going to shit obviously this really hurt the hotel because no one could afford to stay in hotels unless you had money and lots of it and the downtown la area would then kind of start growing with more and more crime and that's where we start getting skid row because shit just went flat so this is really when the hotel just also started getting its name uh tarnished and a long line of terrible events just started eventually wearing its ugly head 
today. The Cecil Hotel is infamously known for its missing persons cases, suicides, overdoses, reports of sexual assault, murders, and serial killers. Whole lot of tragedy. Whole lot of tragedy. A nice little bouquet of trouble. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we will just cover and go into four cases that gave this hotel its terrible and haunting reputation. So... On November 13th, 1931, James Willies paid, a, uh, paid to rent a room for one week after traveling from Chicago. Staff and guests would recount seeing James and never thinking much of him other than the ordinary, well-dressed gentleman. He generally would come and go throughout the week for work, but would never bring visitors around and just seem rather quiet unto himself. But one day... On November 19th, just five days later, a maid came to his room for housekeeping. She knocked, no answer. She knocked a couple more times, still nothing. She reported nothing out of the ordinary and just figured, you know, he just might be gone for the day. So she grabs her master key from her apron and then lets herself in. And as she does, she walks in and sees James Whaley's sprawled out on the twin bed that had gone through heavy rigor mortis. No. No. <laughs> so side note, heavy, uh, sorry, rigor mortis is just the stiffening of joints in the muscles of a body, and it happens a few hours after death. It's kind of like, you, I'm sure you guys have seen like roadkill, and it's like, it's all stiff and shit. Yeah, that's it. So immediately, the mate dials police. By the way, her name was Susan. Susan quit. <laughs> No, of course Susan quit. I don't blame her. <laughs> it's like after all the stuff that Susan's probably heard. Oh, oh yeah, seriously though. And the police scoped out the scene and saw no signs of first entry, no signs of robbery or foul play whatsoever, and no suicide note had been left to, uh, to help the investigators understand what the hell happened to James Willies. But what they did find were several nondescript pills in a vest pocket and police did not even investigate what these pills actually were they just automatically assumed that it was poison i'm so sick of shoddy police work. shoddy police work and wait till we get to our other cases oh this month with the la police oh. <laughs> so they literally just looked at him and they said yep he poisoned himself and in the early 1900s, poison was a leading cause of suicide versus other forms of uh, endings uh, ending one's life so I understand it, but spoiler, he did commit suicide. But despite that, like, you are an investigator, investigate. Like, don't just look at a corpse. Don't assume. Yeah, don't assume. Don't look at it and call it as you see it. Like, investigate. But the pills weren't even all that they found, because in James's trouser pocket, they found three checks all made out to a Mrs. M.C. Morton. Random, right? Yeah. Well, come to find out, the man's alias was James Willies, but his real name was W.K. Norton. And prior to his death, he had been reported missing from his home in Manhattan Beach. See. So he was not from Chicago. And he had left his wife, changed his name, so he wouldn't be found, and moved away to escape his worries. But clearly, his worries caught up to him. And based on police reports... He, his wife thinks that he ended his life because of the grief that came out of the Great Depression. So clearly the Great Depression put a lot of people in some shit, which I feel so bad. So 
It's just unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. And it's just like that that one is uh one of the more <sighs> simple suicide ones, but wait till we get to this one. This one's a little out there. Waste <laughs> in peace, my man. Waste in peace, my man. So next case. September of 1944, a couple by na- the name of Dorothy Jean Purcell, age 19, and Ben Levine, age 38, walks into the Cecil. Hold up. <laughs> 19 and 38? Yeah, I thought you would catch that, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say much, but... Uh, no, no, say a lot. That's pretty good age gap. That's a... That's one of those. That's yeah. a, it's almost twenty year age gap. That's a yeah. That's a huge wait. age gap. Nineteen. That's twenty, right? Almost. I think that's almost twenty. That yeah. Math positions, you tell us. Is I'm not almost? smart. I never claimed to be. It was thirty eight versus. I'm just not good at math, so that's what that is. Well, she's yeah, it's it almost twenty. Oh, good job. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's no, age gap. I'm, listen, y'all. Once again, work the shit before this. Half asleep. <laughs> I know. Okay. I know. I'm stupid. <laughs> You're not stupid. We're just tired. I get it. I'm fucking exhausted. All right. Uh, <laughs> Late on me. Thirty-eight and nineteen-year-old walk into a hotel. <laughs> What's well, an ongoing joke? So they check out for a long period of time, or they want to at check least check out. Yeah. Oh, check in. Check Sorry. in. Thank you. So the desk lady by the name of Miss Wellworth requests some form of time frame because the couple needs a reservation for her. And Dorothy is just in a soft voice replies, oh, we don't really know. Can we just stay as long as we like? A little confused based on the request, the concierge lady says, oh, okay, certainly. Let's start with a week. And would you like a room with a restroom? And Ben Levine immediately says, no, we don't want that. Apparently, they really were just trying to conserve money, which is understandable. So, a reasonable response. And so, they receive their room key and head up to the room. To note, because I want to talk about this a little after the story, the staff recounts later that during the entire interaction between the two and the concierge, Dorothy had been standing very close behind Ben, kind of almost like hidden behind him rather quiet and shy but excited to spend time with her lover so just keep that in mind because i kind of want your thoughts on that in a minute okay so now here's the weird part almost immediately when they walk into the room dorothy continuously claims to ben that she keeps hearing these voices in the walls scary yeah and that they're talking to her directly but he hears nothing and he just says, it's probably the neighbors talking next door. It probably just sounds like they're saying your name. It's nothing to worry about. So they settle in. Ben is uh, Ben was a traveling shoe salesman and Dorothy had recently been a war worker, which I assume was World War II based on the time frame. And they were beat. Ben takes off his shoes and he rests on the bed while Dorothy opens the window to see the view and turns to, uh, to ask Ben with a smile, so when are we getting married, honey? And Ben, with a cute little romance film attitude, says, just as soon as we get established here in LA, uh, LA and place in a get a place of our own. So they both smile at one another. They embrace each other. They get a little freaky deaky. <laughs> Not the freaky deaky. <laughs> <laughs> and everything just seems right in the world. So days turned into weeks. Uh, t- days turned into weeks. And they eventually fell into a routine. 
Ben would head off to do his shoe sales, while Dorothy would just stay at the hotel and often walked around the hotel to keep herself active. But she cannot shake the feeling that there was voices talking to her in the Cecil's walls, but never bothered Ben with it and just continued living her daily life. Up until one night later that September, the same month they arrived, Dorothy woke up beside Ben with a tremendous pain in her stomach, as she later explained to the police. Claiming not knowing what was happening, she walked down to the hall to the bathroom and attempted to use the toilet, but the pain just didn't stop. She then lined, uh, laid on the bathroom floor in crippling pain. With only an, oh, sorry, within minutes, Dorothy's dress started becoming soaked in blood, and as she gave birth to a newborn boy. Dang. <laughs> now, real quick. Brie, I want you to read this passage because I got this from the LA Times. It's uh, back dated from this time too. It came out, I think, like a day after the story happened. All right. Go ahead and read that. Okay. <laughs> Everything in bold. All right. Quote After hearing testimony that one juror later described as almost beyond belief, a coroner's jury yesterday recommended that Dorothy Jean Purcell, 19, be held to answer to a homicide charge of allegedly throwing her newborn baby boy to his death from a high window of a downtown hotel. What the fuck? Miss oh Purcell, formerly a war worker, was arrested Wednesday and held in the prison ward of General Hospital on a district attorney's murder complaint after the baby's body was found on the roof of a building adjacent to the hotel at 640 South Main Street. Testifying at the inquest, Police officer Stuart Jones said the young woman had for several days occupied a hotel room with Ben Levine, 38-year-old grown man, shoe salesman. She awakened, Jones quoted her as saying, early one morning to learn the baby was about to be born. Not desiring to awaken her companion, the officer related she went to the hotel restroom on the same floor and there delivered the baby alone, believing the child dead. She threw it out the window and returned to the room, never telling Levine of the incident, according to testimony. County autopsy surgeon Frank R. Webb, however, declared the baby was born alive, his lungs having filled with air. Um, I mean, even if the baby was born, like, dead, I think throwing it out of the window is, like, very inhumane. Bitch, you cannot eat your baby out a window. Even if like, it's dead, like, I don't, like, what? maybe, like, like take hell? it to the hospital. Yes. Or, like, Call 911 or like. There's other options. There's other bury options. Bury it in the ground. Oh my or God. If it actually is dead. Like, I feel like there's so many more plausible, like. Than throwing your. Throwing your, it out of the fucking window. Oh my God. That's so, yeah. what she's thinking. And the crazy part is the noise of something landing on the roof next, uh, on the next building was so loud that the, um, uh, bystander from below looked up and experienced just what happened. And they were so frantic that they just saw something that just happened that they called 911. And so that's well, how the yeah, police came. yeah, you see a flying baby. Flying on another window. roof. Like, oh. And like, splatter on the roof. Yeah, oh, my I think God. Babies are, like, soft. Yes. Like, this baby was newborn. Like, yeah, she just gave birth to it. It doesn't have bones. No. And, like, oh. Oh, God. And so, according to reports, Ben had no idea that his girlfriend was pregnant and was heartbroken to hear what happened. 
Police arrested Dorothy for the murder of her newborn son, which she claims she thought was still was a stillborn, and she was scared to tell Ben, and so the voices that she quote-unquote heard influenced her to dispose of the child from the bathroom window. Bruh. So... Dorothy Jean, or Jean Parcel was charged with first-degree murder, and after three psych evaluations from three different psych- uh, psychiatrists, Dorothy was deemed mentally confused. That next year, in court, the jury found Dorothy Parcel not guilty of murder by reasons of insanity, and sent to a psychiatric, uh, psychiatric facility where she lived out the rest of her life. I mean, she does sound like she's fighting demons. She's so. fighting some demons, but that's so weird. But you, you know what? We'll make the connection maybe in our next episode because it's like, what is with these like voices kind of a thing? That's my thing. Because I was just thinking about it when I was researching this. Something about this next case that we cover next week. It's like something. I don't know. Let's let's make some conne- uh, connections. Like let's think about it. Because that... I'm ready. That's, that's some creepy shit. But no, guys, just forewarning, please do not eat your babies out of windows. So. <laughs> Bree's like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so, next story. Story number three. This one is a little crazy, too. Prepare yourselves. On October 12th, 1962... Police arrived to yet another crime scene at the Cecil, where according to LAPD, it appeared that two victims had leaped to their deaths. One a battered man, and beside the man, a battered woman. But for a closer look from the corner, something seemed a little off about the conclusion that the two people just committed suicide. So let's go to the day before this, on October 11th, 1962. A couple by the name of Dewey Odin and his wife, Pauline Odin, had just arrived to the Cecil Hotel. Envision it. You're just there. But this couple was not a happy couple. In fact, according to sources, the minute they walked into the hotel, all they did was argue and bicker. After the concierge had given the two their key, uh, what do I just call him? Uh, Dewey? <laughs> I don't know why Dewey keeps reminding me of Scream. I've, you've seen Scream, right? Yes. Um, I think his name is like Officer Dewey. It is. It is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking about that. Okay. Anyway, sorry guys. I get a little sidetracked. So they got their two keys. Um, immediately, Dewey left the hotel and did not return until 9 a.m. the next morning. While Pauline went up to give uh, to their given room. And now immediately when Dewey walked into the room the next morning, Pauline was not happy. She had clearly had been drinking that morning and heavily, while in tears, pacing back and forth, insisting that her husband did not love her. So, Dewey had continuously told her, you have a drinking problem and you need help. And Pauline would then literally chuck a bottle of whiskey at him, insulting or insinuating that he is what led her to alcoholism and that he was never there for her. Dang. Dang. Which, I'm sorry, but I don't think anyone's alcohol. I don't know. I, I can't relate, but I don't feel like someone else can make you become an alcoholic. Maybe if you've been through trauma, but whatever. It's just me. So Dewey, feeling a little portrayed for taking care of the both of them, abruptly storms out the room and goes on a walk to decompress. So he claimed that he loved his wife despite the marital problems, but alcoholism was just consuming her and just consuming the person he once knew. 
He often found himself having to separate himself from Pauline until she calmed down. But little did Dewey know, this would be the last time he'd be seeing his wife. Because he had left her alone, and Pauline then pulled out a sheet of paper from the drawer and wrote, you want to read this one? She wrote, Dewey, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You will never care about anything or anyone besides money. Farewell. P. Yikes. The letter P. The letter P. Yeah. Yikes. Oof. That's that's pretty hard. But maybe she was spinning facts. She's maybe. We never know. But oh, she then went up from the bed where she had written the note on the nightstand. She placed the note on the pillow, stumbled over to the window, opened it stepped onto the ledge and let herself fall to the ground below. But tragically, prior to her fall down below stood a man named George Gianni, a man that had been struggling from gambling addiction and had actually had been just getting his life together until an intoxicated Pauline plummeted right on top of him, (gasps) killing them both on impact. I know. I'm not laughing because it's not fun. It's not funny, but I'm laughing because it's fucking crazy. What the fuck? Not her literally fucking up someone else's life. Yeah, I know. Like she she like committed murder after death. Yeah, isn't that crazy? She literally fell on top of someone else while she was killing herself. Girl. Oh my god. So she does not have good aim. No, <laughs> no, she does not. Girl. So like I said before. R.I.P. Well, I mean R.I.P. to them both, but R.I.P. Yeah. to that man. I feel so. Imagine he being was just an getting his life together. Bystander who is getting his shit together, and a woman just jumping, jumping from a window on top and of killing you. you. And my dad made a good point because I brought this up to him too. I was like, "Damn, did you hear the story, Dad?" And he's like, "You know, a human body weighs a lot, of, like a lot." Yeah, especially like that force. Yeah, that force to fall from a window. Like, do you Jesus. know what floor it was? Um, I think this was from the very top floor. Yeah, so very far drop from below. Dude. Yeah. Uh, I feel so bad for the guy. So, like I had said before, the scene looked to police at first, at first glance, at least. Like, like had been joint suicide. A joint yeah. suicide, yeah. And of course, like I had said, the coroner arrives, and the scene they noticed George's hand had still been in his pockets. I'm gonna say it again. I kind of spit on the mic. So, <laughs> so the scene they had noticed uh, George's hands were still in his pockets, and both his shoes were still on. So, from the coroner's experience, they knew it was not specifically easy or near impossible for a suicide victim to fall from that high up with their hands in their pockets. And acknowledge that the victim's shoes were still on their feet, but they're also loose and untied. And they said that, you know, one of the shoes would have fallen off on the way down had this happened. So the bodies, like I have said, were too battered for identification, but the authorities traced the suicide victim to one of the only open windows from above and located the suicide note Pauline had written with blatant proof that this was a woman who was furious prior to her passing. And the man that lay dead beside her was, in fact, a victim in the wrong place at the wrong time. Where is her husband? 
Good point. <laughs> so Dewey did eventually return back to the uh, Cecil Hotel when he saw that there was a scene and it was covered in police tape and a crowd was forming. Because remember, he had gone on a walk because she had stressed him out. Yeah. So he had heard on Lickers whispering that someone had jumped to their death. What is more tragic was that Dewey did not think this was anything resorting to him or anything to do with him up until he saw a hotel staff that had checked him in speaking to an officer and the hotel staff pointed directly at him. The officer walked up and asked, sir, I'm sorry to ask, but are you Mr. Odin? He says, why, yes, I am. What's wrong? The officer replies, I'm sorry, sir, but we believe one of the victims is your wife. Instantly, he runs under the caution tape and pushes the officer aside and recognized, at closer glance, the peach-colored pastel dress that belonged to his wife, Pauline, and dropped to his knees. According to sources, to this day, or sorry, this day will haunt Dewey four years knowing that the last time he spoke to his wife was enraged through an argument. Eventually, he did get past the grief. But even beyond those years, he would claim that continuously having nightmares of watching her fall from the window of the Cecil Hotel. Oh, so crazy. <laughs> That's a heavy one. That's a heavy one, yeah. So the case of Pauline and George gave the entire central Los Angeles chills for years after this. And it was a huge story. And this had been the 11th suicide since 1931. And the evolution of how the Cecil would gain his infamous name only grew worse and worse. Now, we are getting to our last story, which, again, is a crazy one. So buckle in. I'm buckled. <laughs> We're buckled. Sorry, guys, I need a drink real quick. He's drinking um, a whole bottle of wine. Y'all can't see it, but I can. <laughs> I'm drinking a whole bottle of the Witches Brew that, <laughs> that we've had since we started the show. No, for real, though. I think wine that's doesn't hilarious. go bad, though, right? It doesn't? Yeah, it, it's good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think... I think it goes bad if you open it after a while, though. I think we're yeah. good, though. It's been like, but we won't talk about it. Okay. Maybe two months. <laughs> Maybe two months. So this is a case of Goldie Osgood, a.k.a. Pigeon Goldie. This case begins in the summer of 1958 with a sweet lady. Oh, boo! The way you're laying on my... Oh, that's so cute. The way she's, like, laying on my little hoodie. Oh, she Okay, she's doing good, so let me keep going. Sorry. (laughs) Our our ADHD today, guys. Oh, my God. Through the roof. (laughs) Through the roof. Okay, sorry, guys. Okay, anyways. This case begins in the summer of 1958 with a sweet old lady roughly between the age of 16 and 70 by the name of Goldie Osgood. We love her. She is amazing. She's a sweetie. Now, that summer of 58, Goldie had just moved to the Cecil Hotel as the Cecil had just started, began accepting people to lease rooms since obviously throughout the years, the Cecil had just tarnished the reputation with all these things going on. And Goldie had heard the reports of the hotel's dark history, but that did not stop her because Goldie's a bad bitch. Queen. She's a queen, and she didn't let anything stand in her way. So she had recently retired as a telephone operator and wanted to start a new life in Los Angeles. She began spending a lot of her time downtown in Los Angeles, meeting new people, and she eventually found happiness in feeding pigeons, since the nickname her friends gave her, Pigeon Goldie. Love. That's so wholesome. It's so cute. Okay. So it was just a calming activity for her. And she was, like I said, a sweet lady. 
And she even gave food to the homeless every now and then, which is just Love. so, like, so sweet. I just, I, I can get past that. So, from what sources share, she often wore a blue Los Angeles Dodger baseball cap and would grab her little brown paper bag with bird seeds and head down to Pershing Square in the middle of downtown LA and talk to her friends as she had made and feed the birds. She often made her... She she often made this her daily routine for the next six years while living at the Cecil. And there have been... Six years? Six years she lived at the Cecil. Dang. And there had never been any compla- uh, complaints about Goldie. And people loved her. They knew her in and out of the hotel. And people just loved her presence. She actually had a little money. And she was just on a fixed income. But despite all of this, she just wore a smile all the time. She was really living uh, the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Sweet life of Zach and Cody. She was living in a hotel. She was living in a hotel, and she was living her best life, which is you crazy. You know, I feel like that'd be sick because you don't have to clean. You don't have to clean. That's a good point. Like, you clean a little bit, but, like... But, it, like, isn't that, like, even if you are you have maids it, and stuff. like, I'm yeah. pretty sure there would still be hotel maids. Yeah, 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 you're right. Good I think, point. I actually don't know how that works, but I, I feel like there would are. be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone was in a hotel as a tenant, let us know. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. So, on June 4th, 1964, Goldie woke up bright and early, got dressed, grabbed her brown paper bag with her bird seeds, and headed down to her 10-mile walk to the Pershing Square. Or Pershing Square, sorry. She fed the birds, met up with her friends, she had lunch, and then she returned home later that day It was around the evening time, a little before 7 p.m., to wash up and prepare for dinner in bed. Approximately at 7.15 p.m., a male employee, there was no name, I just, it was just saying male employee for all the resources I found, was delivering phone books to the tenants when he gets to the uh, Goldie's room and knocks. To his surprise, the door was slightly cracked open. The employee was more so shocked because the door had been unlocked and he knew Goldie a little bit, so it was very weird to see because he knew that she was kind of personal and cautious beyond just being a very nice person, which I would be too. And so he calls for her and gets no answer. It's dead silent in the room and in the hallway. He then pushes the door open to reveal a dead Mrs. Goldie. She had been brutally murdered. Her body was stabbed multiple times. Her body was severely beaten, and her underwear had been pulled down around her calves, indicating that she had, in fact, been raped. The employee was actually a longtime friend of hers, so this hit hard for him, but what really hurt was that her eyes were still wide open, and her head was slanted slightly to the side, so when he walked in, it kind of appeared that she was looking directly at him. That is... That's chilling. It's chilling. It's so chilling. So within minutes of dialing police, they arrive at the scene to a crime of brutality. Senior homicide detective of the LAPD at the time, Detective Peter Towns, was assigned the call. After arriving and scoping up the scene, he noticed her blue Los Angeles Dodgers baseball cap was right beside her thigh. Her shirt had appeared to be torn and was lying underneath her midsection, and pants appeared torn as well, but were on the bed above her. The table in the room was knocked over, books were thrown everywhere, and she had fresh cuts on her arms indicating that Goldie was trying to fight back. A bad bitch, once again, fighting Good back. Stabs would have been near her left breast and her left ribcage, 
and she received beating mostly to her face and neck, and a small hand towel near her neck had been trenched in blood. From the messy display before Detective Peter Towns, it seemed as if this had been a robbery slash raping. But it appeared that whoever did this knew Goldie and did a really good job of cleaning up any evidence from the scene. So Detective Peter Towns collaborated with other detectives to get to the bottom of this murder, and after asking residents and staff that they knew, or that she knew at the time, they went down to Pershing Square, where Goldie was known to be every day. After asking several witnesses, they had no luck, until one of the officers looked up and saw what seemed to be a man wearing a white t-shirt with large amount of bloodstains on them. Okay, he's dumb. Why wouldn't he change? Right. Okay, thank you. So when the two made eye contact, he instantly darted for the other way. Eventually, the chase ended with the officer tackling him down and asking, dude, why are your clothes trenched in blood? (laughs) And why did you run away when we spotted you? He says, I'm scared. He says, scared of what? That I get caught. I should have not have done it. I just snapped. He then asked, where did the blood come from? And he says, her. The detective says, where? He says, the hotel. So immediately, police arrest this man under the first-degree murder of Miss Goldie Osgood. They got lucky. But wait. Oh. The man had had not directly confessed to who he did this to. So this man, after tracking down who he was, was 29-year-old Jacques Aliner. So DNA in the 1980s was still an early concept, but... They did use it for this case to test the blood on his shirt to see if we could get a potential match of the murder of Miss Goldie. But after 10 days of waiting for results, the DNA results came back inconclusive. This guy did not kill Goldie Osgood. Later finding out that Jacquis, the man who got arrested, did stab a woman, though it was ironically a homeless woman right near the hotel, and apparently they had gotten just into a uh, disagreement. What about, I'm not sure, but the homeless woman did end up being okay and surviving. Oh, good. So that's good. So this put investigators at square one, and after re-examining the crime scene, and after months and months and months of looking, there were no suspects, no further leads, and no one stepping forward. So, the death of Goody Osgood went cold, and her no. murder is still a mystery to, the, no. uh, to this day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm s- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for Adi. I mean, Miss Goldie, because she sounded like a great woman, and Jesus I'm Christ. I'm upset, too. Like, I, maybe one day we'll have justice for who did this to her, but it doesn't help that... The hotel has been refurbished so many times, so that scene is gone, well and gone, and this oh, happened back sure. way back ago. So, but yeah, those are the four topics that we have gone over today for the Cecil Hotel. Crazy, crazy stories, <laughs> and this is only the surface of it because, like I said, next week we are covering um, Elise Elise Lamb, and uh, that alone is such a crazy case that it needed its own topic 
And we won't tell you guys what the other two topics are, but they do have something to do with the Cecil Hotel. So this entire month, it's a little Christmas present for you guys on the Cecil. Um, and I, I'm just really happy to be covering this one because I've been wanting to covering this. I've been wanting to cover this for months now. And now that we're finally at it, we're going to do our best to cover it. So that's that. So those are just a, just a handful of stories from the Cecil Hotel, guys. You can definitely go and research so many more because this is only the surface of all the things that happened at the Cecil. It's kind of insane. I don't know what's going on at this hotel, but something sinister goes down. I'm having a sneeze attack. No, you're no, good. I'm <laughs> trying to be quiet for a minute to see you're going to sneeze to edit that out, but you're good. You didn't have anything. So. <laughs> but yeah, so guys, yeah, definitely look that up. It's really interesting. We are going to cover um, Elisa Lamb, and that's going to come out next Friday. Um, by that time, I will be in New York, so that'll be fun. I'm excited for that trip. In New York. Where Kendall's gonna amaze you. There's nothing he can't do. Period. Okay, don't sue me for stealing that song. It's not my song. Oh yeah, true that. I don't have not copyright our laws. song. <laughs> don't sue me, not Alicia. Ours. <laughs> I swear. Okay. I think I'm dying. Okay. You're good. As always, ways to reach us. I feel like the only one that matters is Instagram. That's going to be WTLGO podcast. Everything else doesn't matter. <laughs> but we do <laughs> exist seriously. on Facebook at When the Lights Go Out, Twitter at WTLGO podcast, if we ever decide to use that. Email WTLGO inquiries. Which is crazy because I actually, we have gotten one email so far from another podcaster who is very helpful, by the way. If you're listening, thank you so much for all the, the feedback. Oh, peace and blessings. Love. Peace and blessings because he gave us some really good feedback on our show and he really likes it. So that was really fun to see that another podcaster listens to us. Per, we love you. <laughs> uh, WTLGO inquiries at gmail.com. Send us those uh, stories, y'all. Yeah, freaking send them in, please. We're waiting. Um, and our YouTube, whenever we get that rolling, is going to be WL... What the hell? WTLGO Podcast. Um, as freaking always, feel free to DM us any stories, anything at all, case suggestions, paranormal suggestions, personal spooky stories, mm -hmm, um, something mm -hmm. that's happened in your hometown, mm -hmm. a small time case that just needs more exposure. Even if you anything. don't, yeah, if you, even if you don't want to say the whole story or like email it to us, I obviously am a researcher. I can do that for you. So it's okay yeah, literally to tell just us. Give us the case name give us case. and Kendall will go crazy. I will go crazy on the story. Um, and we still want to do that listener, um, We'll stories start as well i think that will be a we cute thing to do any. next year i think that's something yeah. we'll get so into hopefully next so. year we'll have some ready the more they rank up the more the more we'll be able to tell them so yeah so yeah. hopefully we'll get that rolling but as always thank you so much for supporting listening sharing telling your friends we're definitely excited to see where it goes we yeah. say it all the time i think we're getting better and better every time yeah so. the numbers can only go up yeah so. and i am sorry because i have gotten i meant to say this too earlier but i have gotten so many inquests to do more paranormal i promise you guys we are going to do more paranormal our first story next year is going to be a paranormal story and it's going to be so good we already have that planned out for you guys so 
yeah, we're, we got that dark for you guys. I promise you. We're going to do more coming up, and we have really cool stuff coming up for you guys that I'm so excited to do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get it popping, you all. <laughs> get excited. Get excited. Get your, get your popcorn. If you're driving and you listen to us, don't get turn up louder. But yeah, don't get in a car accident. Um, do not eat your babies out of windows yeah thoughts and prayers to everybody we talk about yeah thought, thought every yeah story, seriously yeah every tragedy our sole reason being here and telling these stories to you guys is because one we do like true crime two these stories need to be told more they than need once to be heard. they need to be heard more than once and i hope that our our stories at least are told from a different side of things because i knew that you know a lot of podcasters are out there that are true crime podcasters and always sharing these kind of things. I try to aim for a little bit of difference for them. So hopefully we're doing that. And I think you guys are gonna be very happy with what we have coming out soon for you guys. So get excited. Yes, with that, we will see you when the light goes out. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>